This is the Crypto Valley Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Valley Podcast. My name is RK. And let me start by saying that on this podcast, we explore the history of money from its very inception all the way to its current state and most importantly, its future. We also discuss how the current financial system illusions investors and consumers and how you can exit and obtain your financial interdependence. If you are someone who has average to no experience in finance and would like to take control of your financial future instead of trusting a banker or advisor then this podcast is for you and don't forget your banker doesn't explain you to understand investing for a reason so in this episode we will talk about a few very very interesting things i would like to discuss mainly two subjects um, being first of all the banked versus the underbanked population of the world and uh, we are going to talk about what is actually happening right now in the world and then we're going to move forward to explain why this is happening and what the motivations behind Uh, the reasons are that it's happening and at the end of the uh, episode I would like to play a part of a speech that I really enjoyed from Mr. Andreas Antonopoulos he is one of my main sources of information and he I really admire his work he is doing an amazing job uh, from explaining cryptocurrencies and but also he's not only a technologist he also understands political problems and humanitarian problems and everything that basically is connected to the problem of money in the world and he explains things in a very very nice way so I thought on this episode I would uh, play a short part of one of his speeches. So let's start by um, distinguishing between the banked and the underbanked people. So unfortunately on the west side of the planet we have actually such a luxurious uh, environment that we become completely unaware of the privileges we actually enjoy in these countries and this is quite normal because uh, we actually human beings are used to do this with everything because the nature that uh, humans have is that you basically start to forget things and start to ignore things that's actually human evolution works like that it's hard it's hardwired in our nature that we start to forget things and take things for granted uh, the more 
grown up we become that's why when you are a child you notice a lot of things and later on when things get normal in I mean quote-unquote normal I mean what's normal we cannot define normal but the things that we take then for granted we ignore And that's part of our nature because if we would keep noticing things, we would go crazy, right? If you would hear everything around you all the time, uh, you you would go crazy. So your natural instinct is going to shut down the background and uh, to make you basically have this conscious attention to only certain things that are happening. Uh, this is, of course, very, very advantage. Uh, I mean, th- this has very, very, uh, a lot of advantages in getting things done. However, the disadvantage of this is that you start to take things for granted and you forget where everything started. And uh that's why you actually have ignorant people. That's what the word ignorance comes from, from exactly this phenomenon, uh, phenomenon that, uh, that we just take things for granted and we are not grateful for things. So uh, let's relate this problem to the problem of money. So today when we go out to use money, we do exactly that we have a relatively stable currency in our country here, uh, in our countries here, I mean, in Switzerland and in the US. When I talk in Western countries, I'm talking about Europe mainly and the US, Canada, New Zealand, uh, Australia, all these developed first world countries. And the thing that we take for very much granted is a stable, relatively stable currency and access to investments and foreign exchange, like exchanging currencies to other currencies and bank accounts. We, it is completely normal to us that we can open bank accounts here because it's normal. I mean, uh, you have to be really, I mean, of course there's issues as well. If you're not a resident, for example, in a certain country, banks won't open an account for you but there is workarounds and we get along it's not like uh, we have big problems with that it's relatively okay and acceptable and we also enjoy freedom of speech and we are not experiencing very large inflation in a very short period of time and we have a relatively balanced right between gender in these countries And we forget that. And this is the problem. Whenever I talk to friends, family and people in my surrounding, I have to first explain them why or what is happening in the world. Because it's not happening here. And people think that just because it's not happening here, it's not happening anywhere else. And that's just not true. So... Having this in mind, let's let's look a little bit more globally. Let's go over the borders and look at other countries. Let me read you a few things that will that will shock you. It's crazy what's happening in other countries, in Asia especially. So the underbanked people on this planet 
according to official statistics, are about 2 billion households in the world, with China and India being the top countries. So households, they even don't count people individually, they count households only. That means if there is a family of men and women and children, they count them as only one household. So that means that it's way more than 2 billion. I would say it's around 6 billion people. If you really take each individual into households, uh, especially in China, as the population is very, very big, you could assume to be, if you're conservative, you would say, okay, 4 billion, uh, double the amount. But it's at least double the amount of individuals who are not having these uh, luxury things that we are experiencing or we're having here. And now take this into, into perspective. In 2018, workers and refugees sent nearly $700 billion across borders to their families and paid a total of $45 billion in fees for exchanging and commissions. That's crazy. I mean, these people are the most broke people you can imagine. This is the poor population we're talking about. And I find it quite crazy that we in our uh, ignorant situation here where we take things for granted look what we are sacrificing for the reason that all these people don't have access to a bank account is because they are not considered people enough or at the stage of society that they would deserve a bank account because maybe they are uh, they cannot read they cannot write maybe they don't have their papers maybe they are just not looking the way society would accept them or now take this in afghanistan and saudi arabia women are not allowed to open bank accounts so it's also a gender problem. If you are a woman in these countries, in uh, Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan, you cannot open a bank account, period. Just because of your gender. And people don't talk about this here. And we are speculating here, what will happen with money in the future? How is this going to play out, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have this huge majority of population on the planet that has this underbanked issue that nobody is even talking about here. It's crazy. So now we have this only private lifeline of money being cash that is disappearing here in our world and also in this underbanked world. Now for us, that's not a big problem yet. Okay, in our economy, that's just for convenience, right? If I can pay with a card, I don't have to carry cash, I don't have to carry coins, it's quite convenient. I can just swipe my card, it's fine. 
because the governments here are not uh, dictators. They are not uh, corrupt governments. I mean, we don't have to worry about these things here. Thank God. Fortunately, we have we don't have this problem here. But now, if we go to other countries, they are also becoming more and more cashless societies. But the reason why is because of hyperinflation, for example, in South America, the amount of paper that they have to carry in order to pay for stuff is so heavy that it is being digitized. And they, unfortunately, do not have the governments that we have here. They have corrupt governments. They have surveillance. They have dictators in control. And we don't see that. And the estimation currently is that we have 8% of cash transactions around the world. And they estimate that by, that by 2030, it could go to nearly zero. So imagine, it's the only lifeline that all these people have that they can interact with each other with private cash without the government punishing them for whatever. You know, many people that I talk with here tell me, yeah, but this, but, but isn't it illegal to do stuff with cash if you don't have a bank account? Like that's a very, very ignorant statement because people here take the laws and the rules that we have in place, the luxury of democracy that we have here, and they just take it for granted and they, they just think that the whole world is like that, you know? And in these countries, and you will notice also the way Andreas explains it in his talk, they do not want to know why they need cryptocurrencies. They just want to know how, because they already know why. They have the problems. They don't have stable currencies. They don't have access to bank accounts. They don't have the luxury of being able to move freely without being censored, without being... Um, without being completely uh, eliminated from the luxury that we take for granted from having access to investments, etc., etc., And uh, yeah, this is the difference between the banked and, their, and the underbanked people uh, in the world that you need to really, really understand. I try to demonstrate all these problems uh, to make it really clear what problems we have before we move forward to continue to explain what Bitcoin or what crypto uh, stands for and what it is solving. Because you need to first understand what the problems are because we take things for granted. We don't know them, unfortunately. So that's why I, I talk about these things before we talk about the nature of crypto, etc., etc. So now let's move forward to why this is happening and what are the motivations actually behind these problems. So throughout history, what has happened 
and let's roll back a little bit to episode one. Remember, gold was money and gold was completely decentralized, right? Gold was everywhere in the world. And anybody who could find gold and had gold had or was in charge of his own gold. But over time, because trade evolved and banks came into taking custody of all those uh, gold bars, money became super centralized. And we basically gave the control and power to a few people and that's that's basically centralizing something right we centralize the control and power to a few people that are basically controlling the money supply and demand so what do we know from experience throughout history what's human's nature it's greed and power right so if you give power and this is by the way i'm not trying to say for example i'm different i'm a good person uh, and there there is greedy people and i'm not greedy that's not my point my point is i'm talking about human nature we have it we have it all in us, you know. We have greed in us. We have, we have uh, the good side in every person, and we have the bad side in every person. But if you put people in a circumstance where the bad thing in their nature can speak, then it will speak. And this is what the system has, unfortunately, moved to, to basically centralizing money and giving access and such a tremendous power to just a few people to regulate the money supply and uh, hence being in control of inflation and deflation which makes the entire system dependent on the decision and uh, goodwill of a few people. All right. So this has also geopolitical reasons, right? To compete, for example, with other nations. Because, for example, if I am the United States, I need to make sure that my currency is doing well compared to some other currency in the world, right? Is if, I mean, for example, if the euro becomes weaker than the dollar, then other countries might buy stuff more from uh, Euro-based countries, right? So that's also an aspect that you need to take into consideration why this is happening is because politicians try to make sure and this all happens at the cost of the people who are storing their time in these currencies, right? Uh, good or bad. I mean, it, it, it can inflate or sometimes also deflate, right? But over time, it always inflates. Uh, anyways, so because of these geopolitical reasons, you also have these currency wars between countries where China competes with the US or where the euro competes with the dollar. Whoever's currency is cheaper, obviously, 
people are going to like to travel to those countries more because their currency is cheaper, right? If I travel from Switzerland, for example, to Germany and the Swiss franc is much more expensive compared to the euro, that's great. Then I can afford to travel more to Germany because I can spend uh, more money. My money has more power there uh, compared to Switzerland, right? So this is also a reason why these nations um, increase and decrease the money supply at the cost of others. I'm not judging. I'm just saying why it's happening, right? I'm not saying if it's good or bad, but why it's happening. And what you also need to uh, consider is that if you give a few people a centralized privilege to control the supply of money, this is also part of human nature that comes flourishing out is to enrich themselves, right? If I am in control and you give me such a trust that I can print the currency you work for, then I can basically create more of that currency in order to take away your purchasing power and make other things that I own, for example, more expensive. If I own thousands of properties because I can afford to buy them and I'm also in control to produce more of a currency that you work for, then I could theoretically print more of that currency, right? And make my own assets much more worth, <laughs> right? So if you give power, especially to rich people, that's exactly what happens. Then you have this huge gap between rich and poor. The middle class suffers most because their purchasing power is taken away and put to the top unless the people are smart enough to see and understand the game with the education that is necessary and they, they put themselves on the right side, right? So this is the difference between the banked and the underbanked and the power that we lose if we have centralized money, all right? Okay, guys, we're now 23 minutes into this. I don't want to make this a very long episode, so I'm going to finish up. I will now play a short part of an amazing speech of Andreas Antonopoulos. And thank you again for listening. I wish you a great week, and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care. For the first time, I didn't need to explain why. Why Bitcoin? Why open blockchains? Why freedom of finance? Everybody there was interested in one and only one question. How? How do I do it right now? Because the why is obvious. It's obvious to people from Argentina. Someone came to me at the conference and said, you've inspired me today. I was terrified to come to this conference. I was afraid of what might happen if our government changes again. My grandparents were kidnapped by the previous regime. We didn't see them for months. We thought they'd thrown them out of an airplane. Think about that for a second. We have finally reached a point 
where access to the most basic financial services has become a privilege. A privilege that the average person has to exercise this dance of proving themselves worthy in front of a banker, of filling in reams of paperwork and application forms in order to be granted the privilege of financial services. And we even turn around and condemn cash, the ultimate peer-to-peer, -peer, anonymous, fungible mechanism that for millennia has provided financial services to everyone, basic financial services. And cash has one fatal flaw, and it's not that it's anonymous, that it's its greatest feature. And it's not that it's used by criminals. Criminals get a banking license and defraud people by the millions. Its greatest feature is that it is available to everyone without vetting. Its greatest feature is that it is an open, transparent, neutral, verifiable, peer-to-peer -peer transactional system. And its greatest weakness is that it is constrained by geography and locality. It doesn't have range and scale. And while we're having a little privileged discussions about, should we regulate crypto? How much should we regulate crypto? Who should regulate crypto? Fuck that. <laughs> crypto is about providing universal basic finance to whoever needs it, everywhere in the world, whether we like it or not. And what will people do with universal basic finance? What they've done for millennia with access to cash, they will build a future for their children. We are paralyzed by the fear of a few bad actors, blinded by the fact that the worst actors are the ones who act with state privilege and endorsement, with the intelligence agencies hand in hand, inside the surveillance capitalism mechanism to fund dictators and drug lords all around the world with our tax money to the tune of trillions. The real terrorism, the real drug financing doesn't happen in cash. It happens in millions of barrels of oil and billions of pallets of dollars transmitted through wire transfers by the banks who get caught again and again and again and again. And they pay a fine that is a fraction, not only of the criminal behavior that they profited from, but of the tens of thousands of deaths they've directly contributed to. And not a single person goes to jail. And at the same time, some people have the audacity to say that we need to end cash. In the United States, 18% of the population does not have access to banking services. That's 60 million people. I recited this fact at a banking conference, and one lady in the back raised her hand and said, why should we give illegals bank accounts? That's a chilling statement to make. Let me translate it to you in words that will make more of an impact. Those people don't deserve the privilege of financial inclusion. Those people. 
When your neighbor says, those people don't belong in our neighborhood, it freaks you out because you suddenly realize you're living next to a bigot. But when a banking regulator says, why should we give illegals a bank account? I calmly responded, you shouldn't. We will. At the last conference I attended, after I gave a speech decrying the lack of security and financial inclusion, a young man in his 20s has been living in Western and developed countries for the past 15 years, has not been able to open a bank account in 15 years. Every time I write my name and place of birth in the application, the process has already ended. I was born in Iran. I didn't choose that. I didn't do anything. I pay my taxes. I have a job. All I want is to deposit my paycheck in a bank account so I can buy groceries. For 15 years, I've been unable to do that. That is the face of the unbanked. There are people walking the streets around you in this city of privilege, in the independent district of the city of London, bought and paid for by banking corporations, in this little enclave that is the Vatican of capitalism, a city within a city, people walking around you, invisible people, your janitors, your service professionals, the people making you a sandwich who don't have a bank account, who take their paycheck in cash, and they go to various places in order to ask for payday loans. Maybe they take a check or other form of payment they can't deposit, and they get charged 10 or 15% or 30% to send money home to their loved ones so they can support a basic life of subsistence. That's the unbanked. They're right here in this city. The regulators are completely captured, and the very system of controlling finance from above by having levers of power over the lives of millions of people, billions of people, of having the audacity to cut off entire countries and say, well, they're under sanctions. They're not privileged enough, they're not people enough to gain financial services. Guess who that attracts? If you build levers of power like that, the very worst sociopaths in our society are attracted like flies to shit to grab hold of those levers of power and destroy all of your freedoms as quickly as they can. We are building societies in which one bad election is the last election. And if you don't believe me, look at what's happened in Turkey, what's happened in Russia, what's happened in Venezuela, what happens every day to billions of people around the world. Let me end on a positive note because you're probably a bit freaked out by all of this. You should be. This is serious stuff. Open, borderless, public, transparent, neutral, censorship-resistant, strictly private cryptocurrencies exist. They will not be regulated. They cannot be regulated. Not by committees, because they're regulated by mathematics. They're regulated by algorithms. 
They provide certainty of transaction. They provide programmable customer protection. They provide reputation management. They provide access without identity. They give billions of people, eventually, not just a bank account in their pocket, but a bank in their pocket. They democratize the function of banking and turn it into an app that everyone can access without vetting. Because they've already pre-vetted. They have agreed to download the software that follows the rules of consensus. And that is the only vetting required in these systems. But we shouldn't allow that. We did. But we can't have people make anonymous transactions. They will. But we must regulate this. You can't. And you won't. Because six billion people need this. And you have neither the moral authority nor, more importantly, the practical capability to stand in their way or even to stand in the way of what is going to be the greatest revolution in financial services in three centuries, universal access to basic finance.